Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 23rd. While there was a little bit of action this week in Abu Dhabi, and it's crazy to think that parts of the 2020 season already underway, uh, that is not what we will be talking about on today's Mini Break. As you listeners know, we are currently in the midst of our 2019 year in review, 2020 off-season preview mode here at the Mini Break podcast. We are looking at the players that we think could be some of the most consequential players come 2020, whether it be for reasons of they could be one of the breakout stars, whether it be for reasons of maybe there's a drop-off, all of the different factors that come into you know what plays out to be a long year in tennis. We're trying to get you listeners ready because, you know again, before you know it, the action will be back with us. And joining me tonight for today's preview podcast, you know him as the co-host of Wednesday's Mini Break Podcast with Matt Stachowiak, one of our do everything's at Crack Rackets, and of course, a former superstar at Denison, for Denison's men's tennis, excuse me, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. Hey, hey, good to be back. A full week off. That's rare for you. Mm, was it? Yeah, I think I guess so. I guess that was just a fast week then. Oh, that's right, because <laughs> we did a little sub on the tort pod. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had to call for a quick rearrange, uh, rearranging of the schedule, as I am prone to do. But it's nice to have you. Again, long off season. I know it's holiday season for you. Did you catch any of the Abu Dhabi, or are you not ready to start that tennis watching for 2020 yet? No, I'm still in hibernation mode, although I did follow it all. I couldn't follow along to it. I couldn't help myself. Um, that was a thriller. I know we won't get too into it, but a match that goes you know, over three hours between two sort of giants of 2019, Boss and Nadal in the final there. That's a, that's a good one, but um, like I said, that's not what we're here to talk about today, but nonetheless, yes, a thriller for sure. Really fun that it's those two players that are playing what could be the last exhibition match of the decade. It was fun to see Federer and Zverev on their South America tour as well. The only thing I want to talk about from Abu Dhabi, the fact that it was a three-set match for Nadal Tsitsipas in an exhibition in December speaks to those two's mentality, and that's just hilarious, uh, you know, for all the obvious reasons. But I don't know if you saw the clip. Tsitsipas, because he, he broke a racket. He cracked yeah. a racket. Hey, we're cracked rackets. Uh, that's what he did. So, hey, great shot to him uh, in the match in an exhibition and he was like three millimeters away from hitting the linesman and getting a default again in a December exhibition that's hilarious yeah that would have been so funny actually oh my god I would have <laughs> I, I honestly would have paid some money to see that that would have just been a ridiculous like how do you even report on that like uh so <laughs> we're playing this exhibition match and Sitsipas decided to just get thrown out oh my god that'd be incredible oh he legitimately almost now banned oh I know yeah I saw the I saw the clip for sure they slowed it down he was not far away you're not wrong no, it's unbelievable. And shout out to our guy, Double Fault, who never has an offseason, always has the gift ready to go on tennis Twitter. So, you know, that's who I saw the clip from, and it was great to see. But yeah, it's just so typical. I mean, that's the way we're going to end the decade, see those two slugging it out. He breaks a racket. It gets me excited for what should be a really fun next 10 years of tennis. And again, that's what we're focusing on here at the Mini Break. We are getting you listeners ready with our preview content, looking at one player on each of these episodes. There obviously is more content to be covered as it's 
it's not only the end of the year, but the end of the decade, and we are doing that on our other podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Best of the Decade series. So for those topics, we have Ben Rothenberg's parts two and three, talking about the next-gen guys. Later on this week coming out, be on the lookout for those podcasts, correct interviews-wise, getting you all ready for the 2020 college tennis season as well. So I think we've had seven coaches thus far, just the top three teams remaining. So go check all of those out on the Cracked Interviews. But today's topic, a guy that will come up on part two of the Great Shot Podcast Next Gen Preview with Ben Rothenberg, is a player who came on very strong at the end of the 2019 season. And this gets into our first question, why is this player interesting? And before I give you the name, I'll even just give you the content. This is one of, I believe, five guys under the age of 24. So in the Next Gen cohort, there are, you know, 1996 later, there are five guys thus far who have made a major grand, a major quarterfinal uh, on, in the, on the men's single side. Those guys are Daniil Medvedev. We're not talking about him. Stefano Tsitsipas, nope. Alex Virev, no. Matteo Berrettini, no. And that leaves our last option, one of the guys who I think is going to be fascinating to watch come 2020, and that is Andre Rublev, Jamie. And but before I ask, you know, what your thoughts on him, again, just for our listeners, this is a guy who ends the season inside the top 25 after, uh, at number 23. After suffering an injury at the end of 2018, really missing out on a bunch of chances to play ATP tournaments as he had already cracked the top 50. And in early 2019, I believe it was February, his ranking dropped as low as number 115 in the world. So for him to be 115 in February, climb all the way back up to number 23 in the rankings, it's almost equivalent to what an FAA did this year because FAA came from outside the top 100 into that top. 30. Rublev had that same sort of jump. Now, he had shown that level before, but it was a reminder to anyone who had gotten lost in the Hachinovs, or Kachinov, as we affectionately say, or the Daniil Medvedevs in the Russian uh, tennis world, and you remember, oh yeah, Andrei Rublev was the guy who was the world junior number one who has flashed all of this potential, and it really showed at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for me, in 2019, it was just... Um, impressive to see him come off the energy like that, you know, because it really did take him out of commission quite a bit. Um, and, and look, this is a guy we can talk a, a lot about his game, and I'm sure we will throughout the pod, but a guy who realistically, when he's on, can hit anyone off the court. You know, we saw it, you know, uh, right in front of our faces. What was that straight set win over Fed, right? And so, I mean, um, we saw it throughout 2019 multiple times. He beat big names, right? Even I think the one that comes to my mind that was really impressive was taking out Kyrgios and straights um, on Ash this year. U.S. Open, right? So um, he just has had some great wins uh, along with that run at the U.S. Open in particular, too. He also beat Sitsipas in the first round blockbuster that we all circled on. Deba- debatably our best pod, probably. I don't know. It's it's definitely up there in the top <laughs> in, in the top sort of crop of our pods. But um, anyway, no. The, the stuff that we've seen from Rublev this year has been great. Um, really interesting player because he's one of those that leaves us asking, alright, 2020, what's next, right? Yeah, and a lot of people have reviewed their best of the year in 2019. Our U.S. Open preview, Jamie, that was the peak. I mean, it was just so— That was top tier. Yeah, it was so concise. You're absolutely right. Something we rarely do, and it's something I will try and do here. And (laughs) to do that, I will start by giving you the basic stats before we get even into the nitty-gritties of the runs Andre Rublev had this year. As I mentioned, he ends the year ranked number 23. He reached his career high of 22 in October, but you know to end 23, he's right there as well. 38 and 19 on the year in ATP matches. You expand that to the challenger level because you forget he did have to play some challengers earlier this year. It gets his 
his record all the way out to 54 and 27. Now, we talked about Daniil Medvedev as well, and, uh, you know, earlier uh, throughout the year and how he hit that 60 win mark. And I know some of Rublev's wins came at the challenger level. You look at particularly what he did earlier, uh, early in the year, that Indian Wells challenger run where he made the final and lost to Kyle Edmund. And by the way, what a good challenger final that is. Listen to this. In, this. in the quarterfinals, he beat Alex Bolt. In the semifinals, he beat Daniel Evans. In the final, he beat uh, he lost to Kyle Edmund. But, like, that's a really high-level challenger given where everyone finished. Um, so you factor that into his total win count. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. When he re- you know got back into that top 100, that top 60 range to where he could get into Cincy qualities, and that's maybe the most impressive part of his run through Cincy, is it started in the qualities. And he goes all the way to the quarterfinals there. He knocks out Basilashvili in three sets, Stan Wawrinka in straights, Federer in straights before losing to Medvedev. But just, you know, he did have some good moments prior to uh, post-Wimbledon. I mentioned that Indian Wells challenger. That's obviously a good result. He qualifies and makes the round of 32 at Indian Wells. Round of 32 in Miami uh, qualifies as well for the Masters in Monte Carlo. But he really turned it up after Wimbledon. He made a final on the clay in Hamburg, uh, beating Dominic Team 6-6 six and six to do that on clay. Beats guys in Christian Guerin as well and Casper Ruud, who had had very good clay seasons. Uh, he then has that Cincy run as well. Makes the quarterfinals in winston Salem where he loses to an informed Shapovalov. Fourth round of Barry, uh, of uh, the U.S. Open, as you mentioned, where you mentioned the Kyrgios win. How about first round? He beats Stefano Tsitsipas 6-4, 6-7, 7-6, in what was and felt in the moment like a next-gen battle. Uh, yeah, the, just... And then again, I, I know I've listed off a lot of results here, but what I keep wanting to stretch, uh, quarterfinals before losing to Medvedev in St. Petersburg. Round of 16 in Beijing. Round of 16 in Shanghai. Final Finals in Moscow, quarterfinals in Vienna. He did lose first round in Paris, but then uh, he played Davis Cup, helping them make the semifinals where he went undefeated in singles. I mean, this was a guy who not only didn't have any, you know, only the one first round loss in an ATP event at the end of the year, but this is a guy who looked the form of a top 20, maybe even top 15 player down the home stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing with Rublev, right? When he's on fire, um, he is at that top, top tier um, of the men's side, right? Because he can take your rack, he can take the racket out of your hands. He can completely dictate play from the ground and just um, completely hit people off a of court. Um, so it is incredible when he does get to that level. Um, I, I think for us, at least from what we've seen from him so far, it's really just about okay, can we do more than just that one game plan, right? Can you do anything else besides hit huge forehands and just completely rely on that? Yeah, and look, I joked about us trying to be more concise on this podcast. I listed every single one of his results. Uh, But to move on to our next question in getting into the positives, that first gear you talk about him just going all out from the baseline and you look at just the eye test the way he plays you watch it I mean he just looks like he's turning so angrily at the ball he's getting every piece of his momentum getting every ounce of his turn his athleticism and putting it into hitting the the forehand hitting the backhand from the ground and again I I mentioned this when I went to Cincy I've mentioned this multiple times but Listen to Andre Rublev's uh, the sound the racket makes when he makes contact on the forehand. Him and FAA just do it differently than everyone else. And I've watched Nadal, I've watched Federer, I've watched Djokovic. I'm not saying they're not impressive. 
but it's just different the way these guys hit and you start getting again into the positives and you look at the statistics it's not just that Andre Rublev had results on the court the statistics bear out it wasn't just a string of close results that happened to go his way in terms of ATP server rating the way they rank the top servers on tour over the course of the year he ranks 28th in that department so on the season he made and uh, I believe it's fi- only 59% of his first serves but he ma- uh, he won 74% of those points 51% of his second serve points a solid 2 to 1 ace to double fault ratio which when you're young that'll play but more impressively uh, the way he's able to dictate off of a return and in terms of second serve point uh, return points won he's fifth on tour he won 54.6% of his second serve points when you're winning half of those I mean that is really going to give you chances to break, and that's why you look at percentage of return games ones. Andre Rublev inside the top twenty, number fifteen. He's won, he won twenty five percent of his return games on the season. That ties him with guys such as Alex Zverev, and it's funny Albert Ramos Vinolas is number thirteen. But the guys <laughs> about you know Roger Federer, he's at number twelve with twenty five point five percent. You look at a guy like uh, Novak Djokovic, he's at thirty one point eight, and Rafa's at thirty five percent. Those are the top two. But Rublev's just a tier below them and it's because when he gets a clean look particularly on a forehand and if you're just lollipopping second serves in he's going to dictate every point yeah I mean that's a huge weapon of his right not only can he um, get his racket on good serves he can do something with it Um, he's really fun to watch return as well I mean he's one of those people not just because of his return game but also just because of how he hits his ground strokes and how he throws um, his body into him and and truthfully just crushes the ball right he's one of those people that makes it extra special when they do show the lower camera angle like that play site angle because that's when you can actually see the physicality of the game right i will never stop giving this take they gotta do it more um no it's it's, a great take for the record that's why i'm laughing like i i completely agree with you that's the way it and and it was fun to watch him play that indian wells challenger on the challenger cameras because you watch his ball compared to and how much challenger tennis do I watch as much as anyone you know I'm, I'm gonna throw names out pejoratively but say a Mitchell Kruger or a Bjorn Fratangelo or just you know uh, guys on that level even Apollo or not Apollo Cuevas who's the guy who beats Spider man I think it was Cuevas in the first round of the U.S. Open they just don't have the natural firepower that Andre Rublev has and that's a gift that's the, his ability to dictate uh People got so excited with the way Yannick Sinner played so fearlessly, played so big down the home stretch, just going for winners whenever uh, he saw the opportunity. That's what Andre Rublev's been doing for the past three years. This is not his first stint inside the top 100. It's not even his first stint inside the top 50. He ended 2017, you know, two years ago, back when he was what I think he's a 97, so he would have been 20 at the time at number 39 in the world this year to go 38 and 19 to win 67% of his. His matches and the year uh, with that Cincy quarterfinal and then the U.S. Open fourth round where he beat Tsitsipas. It's absolutely a step forward for him, and it sets the scene for what could be a, a breakthrough, get to the next level, you know, flirt with the top 10, flirt with second weeks at Grand Slams in 2020 for him. However, you look at some of the negatives and what may hold him back in his quest to break that top 10. The Berrettini match comes to mind the most because Matteo Berrettini is a guy who's going to give you a lot of opportunities to attack if you can find his backhand. And the key is, you know, Rublev was fine attacking, attacking, attacking that Berrettini backhand, 
but because he kept getting slices back, you would think he would want to move in behind that. And just, it doesn't matter the surface. It doesn't matter how big he's playing. He may, you know, think in his head, oh, I should be moving forward, but he just still looks a little lost at the net, Jamie. Yeah, and and here's something, too, where, uh, you know, to his credit, I think the injury set him back a little bit here because Mm -hmm. before that injury, um, you noticed a switch in his game style. He really did try um, to switch it up a bit, come to the net more, and he was really working on it. And he was very honest about it, too. He would mention it in press conferences and in on-court interviews. He'd talk about it. He's like, hey, you know, this is something that's missing from my game. I know I need to use it, right? So I think 2019, if anything, right, he's getting back to his top form. He's getting back to what he can do so well. And so um, I'm still holding out hope, definitely, that, well, first of all, he's just so young. But aside from that, right, that that he's like, okay, now I'm back together. My ground strokes are feeling good. I'm going to start re-implementing those things and, and trying to get to the net more and finishing points that way. But um, that's sort of the larger context. You're right, though. With that Berrettini match, I mean, look, he just got, he just got off to such a rough start in that first set. Um, and... After that, I was I was hoping you know he would turn it around a touch. Um, unfortunately, it just never happened. That third set ended up being close, but yeah, that's one of those where it's kind of hard to watch someone like Rublev because look, we you and I have talked about him being one dimensional, kind of having that game style. It's really painful for somebody who's just getting chances and you know they're just gonna try to absolutely wax the ball and then you know they just miss and that's how they lose right like that's that's kind of a sad one to watch when you're watching Rublev you want to root for the guy you want to see him you know have some incredible flashes and then you're like okay well Berrettini sliced it and Rublev missed wide right so um, a little bit disappointing there but regardless of all of that still that that doesn't exactly uh, make me think overall negatively about Rublev Um, I, I just think there were some points in 2019 the inconsistency the lack of that net game and being able to finish, and then just um, sometimes that shot tolerance wasn't quite high enough. Yeah, and to be clear, we we just spoke so glowingly about him. He, We talked about the weapons he possesses. He has the ground strokes, the firepower of a top 10 player. It's about rounding out your game to be able, you know, when you're playing a Novak Djokovic and Alex Virov, a Daniil Medvedev, all of these guys are going to force you to do something different, to make an extra shot. They're going to make you uncomfortable. You can't just swing away through them. I'm sure, Jamie, you know, you played at a higher level than I did, but even I, we both know people who, you know, they just wanted to bash from the baseline their whole lives, and that's just how they wanted to play as tennis players, and there was never a really craft to their game and I'm not saying Andre Rublev doesn't have craft to his game because he's a multi-time ATP title winner uh, obviously he's inside the top 25 but there does need to be another dimension that other gear and it's particularly when he's not playing on hard courts it's you know, on the other surfaces, the clays, the grass, where if I was to say other negatives, uh, not through necess- not that it was necessarily a negative, but it's just still a really limited sample size for him on clay, on grass in his career. He's 15 and 16 on clay in ATP matches, four and three on grass, has never played Madrid or the Italian Open. Um, but you, you look at some of his results, he did do a little bit better this year uh, in the few clay matches he got to play. He made that final, as I mentioned, after the after Wimbledon. In, uh, on the clay, he made uh, the he qualified for Monte Carlo, lost first round to Fognini in three sets. Who I think went on to win the match. Um, no, he still hasn't played a French Open main draw in his career. But I think that speaks to you know the things that he can improve in 2020. I mean, it's just playing a full season. Hopefully, you know, after dealing with all these nagging injuries over the past two years, he can be healthy. Just get 
12 full months uh, under his belt schedule accordingly, get a full clay season in, a full grass season in. Uh, because again, it, in the sample size we've seen of him on hard courts, there's no doubt the potential for second weeks at the U.S. Open and Australian Open is there. But at, and, and there's no doubt, as we saw from those last three me- months, that Andre Rublev, when he gets hot, as you mentioned early in the podcast, can put together a top 20, top 15 uh, level of form. The question is, can he do it over, you know, a, sc- a scale of 11 months, which is unbelievable, but that's what the ATP season really is. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think, um, of course, that'll come with time, right? Experience on those different services, definitely. You can tell hardcore is where he's most comfortable. I think one sort of hope for him has got to be the fact that when you hit the ball that big, um, it can kind of get rid of some of the other variables that happen on a surface. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, that doesn't account for all of it, right? You can't just hit through every court and, and, and expect to be on fire and win every time, no matter the surface. Um, it just has to change a little bit. So um, I think for me, another thing I'm looking for in 2020, um, I, I think really it's a couple things. I think first, um, he's got to continue to improve the serve. Not that the serve's not good, uh, but really he's got to be getting free points off it. No, the first serve percentage, 59% is not going to yeah. get you in the top 10. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that is, that's got to that's got to improve just that percentage, but then also just um, the effectiveness of that serve. Look, he's not the biggest guy, especially when you're being compared in groups of people like Hashinov and Medvedev, guys who can absolutely blast serves and who are bigger. Um, he's just got to find ways to get free points off the serve. Um, and then additionally, I think like we've talked about, he just needs to add some more dimension to his game, but, um, things are looking up for 2020. I expect him to, um, continue to improve the rankings and, I ultimately, I think this can be his year. I don't think he's going to come out and have the best year of the three Russians. I'll put it that way. But um, outside of that set, I'm looking for some impressive stuff from Rublev. Yeah, in terms of that first, I agree with you in terms of improving the percentages. He's 28th on tour last year, or over the past 52 weeks in terms of winning on the first serve, but he's 45th in terms of winning on the second serve. He's only winning 51.2% of those points. Now, you know, that's fine because serving 59% on first serves, if that gets better, he will play less second serve points in 2020. And that we just talked about for, you know, 20 minutes, how powerful his serve plus one combination is, how important that is in the modern game is something I feel like we've emphasized so much over these past three years we've been doing this podcast and it's there for him the serve plus one winning easy points for Andre Rublev despite him not being that prototypical 6-4 to 6-6 modern day player winning easy points is never going to be the problem for him I think the discipline uh, that he displays, you know, he keeps bashing away. His his desire to be out there to give 110% on every swing is so evident when you watch him play. But in terms of another thing I really think he will need to improve on, he can get angry on court. I mean, there's no denying. I think we've all seen Andre Rublev blow up once or twice. And in that Berrettini match, he keeps looking at his box, keeps yelling. And it was a tight four-set match, of course. But, I mean, you just... You know, you can't have that in this top if you want to be top 10 nowadays because all of these up and comers are so talented for different reasons. And just the difference between them, Berrettini's calmness throughout that U.S. Open run, Stefano Sitsipas's calmness through that Australian Open. I forgot to mention earlier, Hyun Chung, another 1996er who has made a Grand Slam quarterfinal. He's just fallen out of my mind a little bit. Um, but 
you know, that was a guy who was calm throughout his run. And I think we've seen flashes of Rublev when he plays well, being confident on the court. But when things start to turn a little bit, that's where, you know, you, this mental stability, that's half the game. Yeah, definitely. And look, I the negativity is really what will get to him. You know, I, I don't mind. Um, well, this is just me being biased here. I really don't mind a player not being calm. Um, I think there are some things that work for some players better than others. You look at a guy like Federer, you know, he'll give you his whole spiel on why he's calm and how that came out of his sort of issues on the court, and that's great. Um, I think there are other people who use the intensity and the firepower effectively to get them re-energized, pump back up, and use it as a positive turn. Uh, I mean, you look at people like Nadal, for example, right? You would never say he is calm on the court, yet the energy that he espouses is positive. And so I think that's more the direction that somebody like Rublev needs to go. You know, there, there's going to be those releases you have to have on court. Um, you don't always have to be even keeled, especially if you're somebody like Rublev. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. That That is something that's going to need a little bit of attention and, and something that I do think will get better as he matures as well. Yeah. And look, I am just as much for blowing up on court as anyone. Anyone who's played tennis it's just you out there you're gonna get angry but I completely agree with you his game can be so captivating the way he can just produce power at will and I think we saw the U.S. Open crowd gravitate to it I think they really enjoyed that Rublev Tsitsipas match now of course Tsitsipas was a participant um, but I think just the level that they saw there I think the level they saw when he played Berrettini later on or that Kyrgios match they had no problem getting behind him there and it's because he really is such an explosive fun player to watch and that can be to his advantage if he can learn to you know channel that energy positively and again that when you're questioning someone's ability to channel energy I think that speaks pretty well to you know the tennis stuff outside of the volleys it looks pretty good I mean the 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 raw the weapons the baseline uh, skills he's going to need to have to sustain a top 20 career for 10 years I think we both agree we see that and so for you in terms of best case worst case scenarios for Rublev looking into 2020 would you agree with me when I say for him I think best case would be you know assuming he's able to be healthy for let's say you know the 10 out of the 11 months he can miss a couple weeks here and there but he's majority healthy for the season I could see him flirting with the top 15 maybe not ending the year in the top 10 but putting together a streak early where let's say he wins like a Delray Beach he makes a semifinal or a final in Acapulco and then he makes quarterfinals in Miami and Indian Wells I could see him seriously flirting uh, with the top 10 because I think he's that proficient on a hard court right now yeah no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, look, he's in the top 25 right now. Um, he can get, if he's feeling good, playing well and healthy at the beginning of the year, right? I mean, he, he can, you know, he can gain a lot of ground. He doesn't have all of those points to defend. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things at the beginning of the year. I think if he comes out hot, um, absolutely. He's going to, he's going to rise in those rankings. Then if he can sustain it across 2020, absolutely. I think, I think the top 15 is reasonable for him, at least if we're talking a best case scenario. That's a really good point you made in terms of point defending because round of 16 in Doha, round of 16 in Sydney, lost first round Australian Open, didn't play in Rotterdam ATP 500 because he couldn't yeah. get through qualifying. 
that that's you know all the way now we're through February before we even get to the Indian Wells portion. Yeah, he can rack up a ton of points because he's exactly. going to get into whatever he wants. So you look at the worst case scenario. I mean, as we get later down the, in the year, it's obviously he's going to have a lot of big points to defend. So if there's an injury or a drop off in level, that's where obviously things could go wrong. But I think the way his points are distributed, if he comes out of the gates the way we're expecting, the worst case scenario, the floor for him is pretty high this year. Like, there's really no reason Andre Rublev should drop out of the top 30 outside of injury until 2028 at the earliest. I agree. Yeah, I think sort of two answers for this one. Number one, um, it almost feels like not even a real answer to this just because it's it's not fair to him. You know, yeah, he has been somewhat injury prone, but um, worst case scenario is, yeah, he he gets injured, doesn't get to capitalize on any of this momentum and just drops and, and has to wait just another year. The other worst case in terms of just his game itself is that he comes out and doesn't capitalize on the fact that he doesn't have a ton to defend. Um, he doesn't take advantage of that and then you know, really isn't going anywhere in the rankings. So um, like you said, though, a high floor for sure. And I think even if he comes out solid at the beginning of 2020, um, even if it's just something to build some confidence on top of and, and get momentum going into the summer months, I think he'll be in good shape. Yeah. I, in terms of expectations, and then we'll wrap up. Second week of a Grand Slam, you know, wins at all of the Masters events. Now, I'm not saying winning all of the Masters events. I'm saying no first-round losses, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, a quarterfinal at one or two of them. I think in terms of a center ground, that's the baseline. I think that's what we as fans of tennis should, should not be surprised to see from Andre Rublev is if he came out, you know, He's in form. He's hot out of the gates in Australia. He makes a quarterfinal because the draw breaks right. Would that shock you, or is that a feasible scenario? No, I think that's feasible, especially, look, that's a surface he likes. Um, he, he's coming out. I think he's going to be hungry for it, right, especially given, like you said, that first-round exit in Australia last year. Um, so, no, I don't think that's out of the question at all. Here's a really fun. Here are the three guys in the next-gen cohort ranked in the 20s in the ATP singles ranking right now. You tell me who's going to make it the furthest in the, ATP, uh, in the Australian Open. Number 21, FAA. Number twenty-three, Andre Rublev, or number twenty-eight, Borna Cioric, all at different points in their journey. Who makes it furthest in the? I mean, draw dependent, obviously, but in your opinion, who are you most confident in heading into the Australian Open? Mm, draw dependent, of course, but honestly, it's probably Rublev. Granted, bias based on the fact that we're talking about him, of course, but um, I mean, even just the end of the year, what I saw from him, even in things like Davis Cup. Really impressive stuff, um, and so he, he seems like he's enjoying himself out there. He seems like he's ready to go, and I expect that. Chorich, I mean, maybe someone will talk about, but really kind of slipped off the radar, right? Um, at least in our eyes. Um, so I don't, I can't say I have a ton of, <clears throat> I have a ton of confidence there. I would definitely put Rublev above him. Yeah. FAA difficult there, but I'm still going to go with Rublev. Once again, probably just biased. Yeah, it's really fun because they're all in different points uh, of their Definitely. journey, so it's going to be really interesting. It's a fun cohort. Again, you look at um, guys in that next-gen cohort. There are now uh, 15 of them inside the top 50, so this is the year. It's got to happen. You got 15 <laughs> in the top 50. I'm not saying they're going to win a slam, but there should be multiple times where these guys are making second weeks, fourth rounds, quarterfinals. God willing, we get, you know, I, I guess Yannick Sinner has to make the semifinals at the Australian Open because he won the next gen finals. It's just, you know, 
Tsitsipas did it. Chung did it. Don't don't break. Don't be that guy, Yannick. Uh, so it, it should be a re- <laughs> you know it should be a really fun uh, year as we've been mentioning all off season long for these next gen guys and in particular Andre Rublev is one we will have circled here at Cracked Rackets. But with that in mind, Jamie, uh, any final thoughts on Rublev? Uh, just that that guy puts uh, his whole body into the forehand. It's crazy stuff. No, you can tell with the way he's putting his whole full body, the results he gets, that he puts the proper fuel in his body. And one way we at Cracked Records want to help you listeners put the proper fuel in your body is with our partnership with our newest sponsor, Aerobar. They created a tennis-specific energy bar just, again, for tennis players. More potassium uh, than a banana. It's not going to look stupid and melting in your bag if you're playing Winter Nationals in Arizona or you're at the Clays in Florida and it's hot and humid. You don't have to worry about that. They've got you taking care of beautiful packaging more importantly a very very delicious product and you're going to be ready to play high level tennis now the coolest thing they did to uh, as a way of saying thank you to the listeners for uh, learning about their product is they gave us a free signed John Isner racket to give away to any listener I believe we are announcing the winner of the giveaway uh, on tomorrow's mini breaks we've got one more day to sign up you do that by leaving a review on this podcast the great shot podcast the cracked interviews podcast the more reviews you leave the more times your name will will be entered into our raffle and again we'll be announcing that winner we'll say at the kickoff of tomorrow's podcast so be on the lookout for that get your reviews in if you've missed any of the content you need to get ready uh, for the 2020 season you want to relearn what happened in the 2010s be sure to go check out our website crackedrackets.com where you can find our multiple podcasts as i mentioned best of the decade on the gsp college contenders on both this podcast and our cracked interviews podcast where we talk to the coaches more immediate updates social media instagram facebook Twitter, YouTube, you know the deal by now. Uh, so go leave those reviews. You don't want to hear me say this throughout 2020. I feel like if, once we hit 100 reviews, I'll stop. Uh, so just go go do that. You're, you're done with this part of the podcast. You want it to end. And certainly Jamie McDonald wants it to end, but he knows I will not end it without giving a shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do as always and have killed it throughout 2019 with their constant work. So with that in mind, for my lovely co-host, James Foster McDonald, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. And James, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.